and welcome back to another episode of the OGV Community Catch-Up Podcast, a series of podcasts on OGV energy. For many people, the energy industry can often seem a bit intimidating and challenging. So for this podcast, we wanted to talk to companies in our fantastic OGV community to find out exactly what they do and hopefully make the sector a bit more accessible to anybody looking to get involved. I'm today's host, Andrew Tyndall, and I'm joined here today by Andy Buchan, who's the Chief Executive Officer at Higher Tech Limited. How are you doing, Andy? Good, thank you. Yeah, good afternoon. Good afternoon, yeah. So, uh, Hiretech, can you tell us a little bit about the company? Yes, Hiretech uh, is an independent company I established in 2010. Uh, we offer equipment rental and personal supply solutions to the energy and marine industries. Uh, we support hydraulics, well service, pipeline, chemical cleaning, decommissioning, subsea and renewable operations. Uh, to do that, we offer pumps, power packs, umbilical reels, tanks, air winches, subsea shears and grabs. We do ancillary equipment, including overboard chutes, hoses uh, and umbilicals. Uh, we're based in Hatton of Fintry. Uh, we've got a large uh, facility there, which allows us to have uh, our various workshops, client testing areas, spooling and pressure testing areas, all the engineering that's required to support our business. Uh, yeah, perfect. So, um, Hiretech, they celebrated 10 years of business last year. Uh, what have been the company's biggest achievements in that time frame? Yeah, I think uh, last year uh, being our 10th anniversary was a great year for us. We also received the Queen's Award for Enterprise for International Trade. Uh, that was quite a big one for us. We've, you know, we've, 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 we've always strived to, to try and get as much overseas business as we can. And uh, that was recognised last year, and uh, we were very proud to have received that. Uh, you know, over the ten years, just you know, remaining in business is quite an achievement. You know, the, the oil industry does throw does throw a few spanners in the works. Uh, that well, I would say unexpected. I think you come to expect them now. You just don't quite understand when they're going to come at you. Uh, I would also say that. Uh, Bringing young people into the industry has been a, a great achievement for me. I, I started in the industry as an apprentice, so it was very rewarding to set up our own apprenticeship scheme uh, in, 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 in conjunction with the, the local college in Fraserburgh and bring in new people. So that, you know, to me, that was, that was a great achievement. Uh, and just, you know, continuing to adapt to business, you know, we're seeing a lot of renewables, we're seeing decommissioning, you know, we're just seeing new opportunities coming at us. And, you know, it's just, a, it's always quite an achievement to, to get involved in something new. Yes, yeah, certainly. I imagine bringing young people through is definitely a very sort of fulfilling thing to do. So it, it is, yes, and it, and, and it brings tremendous enthusiasm into the business. You know, we find that, you know, the young people that we bring in are, 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 are a real springboard for, for, for pushing, pushing the game forward. Yeah, so, so you're obviously uh, based in Aberdeen, but can you tell me a little bit about your international work? What's the sort of the scope of that and the way you approach it? Yeah, well, we've, we've worked with uh, Scottish Development International and Scottish Enterprise uh, over the years uh, where we've attended trade missions and gone to overseas trade events. And that's allowed us to better understand uh, the various countries, the requirements, the opportunities, and also some of the hazards, some of the risks. You know, it's, it's important to understand where you want to work overseas. It's also important to understand where you don't want to work. So, you know, those, those, those uh, trade missions have been very good for that. At the moment, our key overseas markets are West Africa, Azerbaijan, the Middle East, Europe, and Southeast Asia. But, 
you know, I would say that we take a cautious approach to overseas work. We always ask ourselves, how are we going to get paid and how are we going to get our equipment back? You know, we're moving large, high capital value pieces of equipment across the globe. And, you know, we need to know that we're going to get paid for it and we need to know that we're, we're, we're going to get it back. So we're very fortunate that our, um, you know, our customer base in the UK is a multinational service company uh, customer base. So we found that they will generally take us overseas with them. So if we're working with them in the North Sea and then they've got a project in Azerbaijan or West Africa or Southeast Asia, they will generally take us with them. So, so you know, that's a great, great way for us to get overseas because, you know, we know the people and we, we, we know how we're going to get paid and how we're going to get our equipment back. You know, we do get unsolicited requests from, from lots of companies overseas looking for us to, to, to interact with them. And, and we're always, you know, we, we know a lot of people, you know, globally. So we're always looking to find someone that we know and we trust that will vouch for them so that, you know, we, we're, if, if we can't find somebody to vouch for a new customer overseas, you know, we're generally will pass by that opportunity until such time as we can get somebody to, 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 to vouch for them. It certainly makes sense to be a bit more uh, cautious and sort of reasonable with with what with what you take on. So you you founded the company about a little bit over ten years ago. What were the motivators that encouraged you to sort of start the business in the first place? Well, higher tech was the second business that I started. I, I had a, another business for for ten years uh, sometime before higher tech, but but you know it was the same sort of thing. From a very very early age, I had you know self belief belief and optimism. Um, I always thought I'd have my own business. You know, I didn't probably know how I was going to do that. But when I was working for other businesses, it, to me, it was always about picking up new skills to help me towards my goal of eventually one day having my own business. And working for other businesses, you know, while it gives you experience, it also showed me uh, what was possible. So what about challenges? You must, have been, uh, you must have encountered a few sort of setbacks along the way. Yeah, well, challenges are, you know, challenges are, 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 are time and money, really. I mean, raising money when, when you're a new start. I mean, I, when I raised money, it was a case of you know, selling, liquidating all the assets I had to, to, to raise some money. And then I had to go and borrow money from a bank as well. Um, but nonetheless, in, in our sort of industry, the, the sum I had was, was very small. Uh, and you know, if you don't have much money, uh, then progress can be can be very very slow. When I set up Higher Tech, you know, I had a bit more money than I did when I set up my first business. Uh, so you know, I probably I probably did in the first four years, and and you know, sorry, I did in, in one year at Higher Tech what it took me four years to do in my first business because I just didn't have the capital behind me to do that. The other issue is that you know, not too many people want to know you when you're an unknown, untested entity. So you know. Getting a track record takes time, and and you know without that, things can be a bit of a challenge. And then you know late paying customers, you know particularly when you're a young small business getting going, late paying customers can really you know you can go hungry for a few weeks while you're waiting for people to pay their bills. So yeah, that was one of the other challenges that we would sometimes find. Yeah, I think that'd be a problem in, in pretty much all industries. <laughs> yeah, well that's right. Yeah. Is there anything you would have done differently with sort of with hindsight? Well, I, I always say hindsight is not much of a gift. Uh, and I always ask the hindsight experts to please give me their hindsight before an event, because I would find it much more useful. Um, 
But using my hindsight, I would say that uh, when I sold my first business, I took time to reflect on what I could have done better. And, and to me, the answer was learn to delegate. You know, you can't do everything yourself. So you have to be able to delegate. And to be able to delegate, you need a strong team round about you that you can delegate to. Um, and, you know, I think that was the main lesson I, 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 I learned when I, when I opened up the second business. Uh, get 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 a, a strong team round about you. Uh, experience has always all, also showed me that you know getting young people into the business at an early stage is is is, is also a, a great thing to do. The enthusiasm of youth you know will drive your business forward on a daily basis. You know, at higher tech we've got experienced heads, but it's the it's it's the it's the youth that really push us forward every day just with their with their enthusiasm and and, and zest. Yeah, that all makes that all makes perfect sense. I think learning to delegate is something that's quite hard to do, but because it, it's hard to let sort of let go and give responsibility to somebody else when you're so invested in a project. But it's definitely a valuable a valuable thing in all business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know if you, you can't do it all yourself, or, or if, if you do do it all yourself, then that limits the size of your business. So, you know, the only way you're going to grow it is to, be able to delegate it. Yeah. So you mentioned at the end there, uh, sort of the emphasis on, on young people in your company. Do you have any advice for sort of budding entrepreneurs or, or even say graduates looking to make a career in the energy uh, sector? Well, I do. It, it's something I get asked uh, quite a lot. You know, I, I often will get asked, you know, should I start my own business? Uh, and I have a stock answer for that. And that is, if you need to answer me, then the answer is definitely no. Um, I think if you want to start your own business, you need to have a hunger and a drive and, and that hunger and drive leaves you with absolutely no bearable option than to get going yourself. You know, you shouldn't be depending on anybody else to tell you to start your own business. You know, your circumstances or your own drive will, will, will tell you to do that. Uh, you need unquestioning self-belief. That's, that's, that's the other thing you need to do. The other advice I would give if you're setting up a new business is, you know, you need to ask yourself, what am I bringing to the party? What's your unique selling point? If you can't put your finger in that, or your answer is, uh, you know, I'm going to bring lowest cost, you probably need to do a bit more work uh, on your business plan. I just consider that you need to drive innovation, quality, and service into your offering, because these are the things that you're going to have to deliver to maintain your pricing level. You know, anyone can drop their price, and, and that is a poor outcome. You know, if that's the only tool you've got, dropping your price you're going to be very limited in terms of how you're going to be able to develop. You know, you've got to be able to del deliver value. There's no question about that, but you've got to understand that delivering value does not always mean delivering the lowest cost. Uh, the other thing that I would say to budding entrepreneurs is, you know, educate yourself, continue to educate yourself. You know, when I set up my first business, I was halfway through an MBA at the time uh, and that was 24 years ago. And then last year, I just completed my chartered engineer. So you've just got to keep chiseling away at your own personal development as well. You know, you, you, you will grow stale if you don't keep on trying to improve and, 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 and educate yourself. And the other one that I, I, I say to people is, you know, practice with someone else's money first if you can. You know, try and get some industry experience in your chosen sector, working for innovative companies where you've got, you know, good, strong leaders that, you know, don't, you know, go and practice with their cash, see how you get on. You know, if you're not very good at it, you know, take the lesson 
And if you are good at it, well, that should give you the, the encouragement to, to go and do it yourself. The other lesson I would say, uh, people in the industry will support you. Some people won't support you. And I've always found with both my businesses, the people that you think are going to support you and you've got lined up to help you probably won't. And the people that you don't expect, just out of the blue, somebody will pop up that just gives you a tremendous leg up. And uh, that's been the case with both my businesses. The main issue, I would say, the main, the main thing in terms of support is your spouse or your partner. Um, you know, a startup is going to be difficult. Uh, and what you need is a partner or spouse that's going to be able to support you. Now, that support might mean leaving you to get on with it in an unquestioning, uncompromising, blind faith sort of way. You know, you can't have somebody, you know, life, life, life in the business world is going to be, you know, pulling at you in every direction. You just don't really need your spouse or partner to be pulling at you in an opposite direction at the same time. So, you know, that's, that, that, that's quite an important thing to do. Uh, the other bit of advice I would say was uh, to have at least one independent mentor who you respect and who will listen to you. Someone you can bounce ideas off, someone that will pull you up if they think you're drifting off course. It just needs to be a sounding board that will, you know, that you respect, you'll listen to them. And if there's something that they don't like the look of, they tell you. That, that, that can be very important. I would also say, you know, reorganize your life to exist on very little income for longer than you would expect. Growing businesses have an aggressive appetite for cash. You know, when I, when I had my first business, that was 10 years. And the only time I really any, had, had any spare cash in my pocket was the day I sold it. You know, up until that point, you know, every bit of cash you did, you rolled it back into the business because it made sense to do so. You know, it was, it was a good going business. And, uh, you know, you just... If you want to grow a business, you have to throw everything at it, and that does leave you short. The other point I would make was as quickly as possible, uh, when you've started up your new business, diversify your income streams and your customer base. You know, our product lines serve seven different disciplines, but we never have the same discipline in the same top slot for two years in a row. It's always changing. You know, if pumps are going well this year, they're not going to be your top dog next year. So you just have to diversify so that you've got disciplines that will allow you to average out the ups and downs of all the various, uh, various cycles. Similarly with your customers, you know, spread your customer base, spread your workload across a range of customers. You know, our largest customer in 2018 had been in our top three for five years. And, you know, they're not in our top 10 for 2019 or 2020. So, you know, just by diversifying and averaging out over your customer base, that gives you a bit more stability. There's definitely some, uh, there's some, definitely some really good advice there. And I think uh, especially striving for self-improvement, that's always something that resonates with me. And it's, uh, it's very good advice, I guess, in all walks of life. So just to move on from this, uh, the recent pandemic has obviously majorly disrupted the world we're used to living in and, and working in as well. Uh, can you tell us about the impact it's had on higher tech and the way that you now approach a business in a sort of uh, post-pandemic age? Yeah, I mean, business cycles are part of business. Uh, you know, the, the, we, we've always had business cycles and I embrace downturns as, as opportunities. You have to be ready for a downturn at any time. And that means keeping borrowing levels to a level that you can service in a downturn. We've always held back cash for opportunities presented in the next inevitable downturn, 
And this time around, that's allowed us to invest in winches, nitrogen pumps, more well-service pumping equipment. That said, the pandemic was not a case of running down a ramp. Business fell off a cliff last year due to the pandemic. When the first lockdown was announced in 2020, the message was gloomy and we immediately sent as many people home as we could. Over the next couple of weeks, the impact on our business started to unfold and we used the furlough scheme to buy some time as we mapped out the new world. We engaged two third year uni interns to come into the business and to help us analyze all aspects of our business performance. The furlough scheme allowed us to wait and see what business was going to come back and what was lost for the foreseeable future. This allowed us to do some longer term planning, which unfortunately involves reducing some staff numbers. The main impact of the pandemic to higher tech was the loss of overseas work. You know, overseas work contributes 40% of our business. And you know, only this year has that really started to come back. Since January, uh, we've had a, a return to pre-pandemic pre levels of business. Uh, we're leaner and meaner than we've ever been. Our customers, they've reorganized their businesses and that has increased the scope for us to help them to meet their challenges. That all makes, that all makes sense. It's definitely been a challenging year for everybody. And, uh, and it's definitely, it's sort of changed the way that we do things in general. I was just wondering, it's a little bit, little bit off script, but I was just wondering, uh, the remote interactions become a massive part of our lives. So, you know, we're doing this interview on Zoom. How have you, have you found sort of doing this kind of stuff online? Well, it, it, it has a, an upside and a downside. I, I would say the main downside is finding your customer. You know, with people working at home, with, with redundancies, finding the people you need to talk to has been pretty difficult because they're not in the office. And sometimes it takes a while just to find out who's still there, who's doing what, where they are, how to get a hold of them. So for the sales teams, that has been, that has been a difficult challenge. The upside is that when you can find them and they're at home for, a Zoom, for, for the Zoom call, you're going to get a hold of their attention for much, much longer because, you know, they're sitting at home and generally they've got a little bit more time to, to, to talk through the issues that they're having, the, the, the projects that they've got and stuff. So, you know, difficult to find them. Once you find them, then Zoom, you know, has been quite a good way of doing it. We don't get the, you know, the great thing about going into a, a customer office is that, you know, you go in to see, you go in and see one guy, but, you know, as you're walking through the corridor, you can casually bump into, you know, five or six other people that you know, and that allows you to spin that off a little bit. That's not happening through Zoom. You know, you've got to, you've got to target each customer individually, each person individually, and that takes a bit longer. So it's, you know, that, that's a little bit harder. Um, you know, we've used a lot more uh, social media for, for marketing the business. And, you know, that's been positive. You know, we've seen, you know, because we've changed the way we do our, our, our marketing and, and doing a lot more social media, then, you know, that has increased our reach. So, we, you know, we've taken on more, more new customers in the last four months than we've taken on in any single year, for sure. You know, we monitor that. And, and we think that is just because, you know, we've learned to do things slightly different and we're, you know, whether we, whether we planned it or not, by, by using social media, we're not concentrated around our hub of Aberdeen. You know, we're, 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 we're getting a much larger client base uh, to interact with. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's good to, it's good to know that there's some opportunities that can come out of uh, all the sort of struggles of the past year. 
So just continuing on, on the pandemic theme, what have been the biggest and most influential factors to ch for change that you've witnessed in the industry? Well, I, th I think the pandemic has, has accelerated a move towards the energy industry. You know, I think we've, you know, there's been less, less air travel, there's been less people driving to their work. And, you know, everybody sees the energy trans transition as, as, as very achievable. Now, while this direction of travel into renewable and low carbon technologies is absolutely the correct direction of travel, I, I've got some reservations about the speed of this changeover. You know, I think undoubtedly investors are pressing for green investments, and this is pushing hydrocarbon corporates into some bold statements. I just think that the rundown of hydrocarbons will be a bit gentler than some of the talk currently that's going, going around. But, you know, the other change that we see inevitably in the UK is the oil and gas sector. You know, it is set to decline once a platform's been pulled out. You know, there's no more operations, no more catering, infrastructure, drilling wells. You know, so employment is going to fall uh, fall as, as we pull out these pull out these rigs. Again, I think the pandemic has accelerated the move out of the region for some businesses supporting these activities. And, you know, whether this has been overdone, I think only time will tell. Well, yeah, I suppose we need to remember that it is an energy transition, not just, uh, you know, move straight from one thing to another. Uh, yeah, that, well, well that, that, that's right. You know, you know, energy transition is happening and we can see that and there are great opportunities in that. But, you know, I think we need to we, we need to make sure that we, we leave somebody behind to, you know, to, to help run what we've got left of a hydrocarbon business at the same time. That definitely makes sense. So. What predictions do you have for the energy industry over the next sort of 10 years or so? Well, locally, I think there's tremendous opportunities that are going to emerge from the energy industry. You know, I think some of the largest service companies, you know, they're continuing to reduce their presence in the region, if not withdraw completely from the market. And I think that's leaving the room for smaller, nimbler businesses to establish and increase their market share. You know, we're already seeing this happening with our customer base. You know, we're, we're seeing less work from, from, from the large multinationals and we're seeing more work from, from small, some of the smaller businesses that are establishing themselves. So, you know, that, that, that is interesting for us. Uh, the offshore wind, we believe that's going to continue to increase opportunities to oil and gas subsea businesses. You know, the skill sets offshore wind are, are looking for are, are, you know, identical in terms of the hardware and engineering that, that you know, the offshore businesses have been, have been using. So, you know, very, very transferable in terms of what's happening there. Uh, I'm, I'm also a bit optimistic. You know, I, I, I think, you know, we're, you know, we're talking down hydrocarbons, but, you know, I, I'm hopeful that future technologies are going to clean up hydrocarbons a bit and offer a new lease of life. So, you know, there's a lot of value being left in the ground, but if we can find the right way of cleaning up what we're doing with hydrocarbons, there, there, there could be a bit more, a bit more of a race to run with that. You know, overall, the energy industry, it's a great industry to work in, and I believe it offers long, like, you know, lifelong skills for all those that enter it. You know, I remember when I joined Shell in the early 80s, you know, they swept up the skills from the coal mines and the steelworks. You know, they were all in decline, but the guys that worked there had highly transferable skills and they, they all started up in, in, into the oil and gas industry. I think the energy industry is going to continue to change. It's going to be all the better for that. Uh, and it will continue to offer employment, career development, travel opportunities and a good standard of living 
for the bright youngsters of today. I think higher tech, well, we're going to continue to adapt to change by continuing to pursue the increasing opportunities in decommissioning and renew renewables that present themselves, while maintaining to focus on our traditional business that we expect to grow as our various customers' market shares fluctuate. Sounds very promising. Um, well, I think that uh, that just about covers everything. Uh, is there anything else you wanted us to cover before we finish up? Uh, so this is an advice for uh, budding entrepreneurs. You know, after I sold my first business, I did some consultancy work, and this allowed me to reflect on the various types of business founder and the influence their background had and the way they can drive a business forward. You know, I, I looked at it, and, and through my own experience, business founders were either design engineering based, they were sales based, they were accountancy based, or they were operations based. And I found that you know the engineering design engineering founders, you know, they like to engineer at the expense of the profit. Sales, they would sell anything at the expense of actually being able to deliver it. And the accountants, they wanted to see visibility in terms of what you were going to be doing that was impossible to, you know, to, to, to give them. And operations, well, they want to hold back a spare of everything. So I found that, you know, the, the best businesses were the ones that get a mixture of these skills into the business as quickly as you can. And that was allowing you to neutralize some of the traits each of these founders would inherently bring with them. So try not overpopulate your business with a particular business. You know, if you're an engineer, you know, you, you need engineers, but don't fill the management team with engineers. You know, you need other guys to, to, to level out some of your traits. And, you know, that's down the road a little bit, but it's, it's very important to, to bear in mind. Yeah, it's certainly all important advice. Well, uh, Fantastic. So, uh, well, thanks for talking to me, Andy. It's been uh, it's been really, right. it's been really interesting, very eye opening as well. Uh, where can people find Higher Tech online and on social media? Yeah, so you can find uh, Higher Tech. Uh, our, our our website is www.higherTech.rentals. We've got a great website there where we can show you about all the various equipment we've got. We've got some videos demonstrating various bits of equipment we have, and we can keep you up to date there with uh, any new developments that we have. Perfect. Okay, so uh, you can find all the relevant links to the social medias and websites in the description of this podcast. Uh, if you have time, I really hope you go have a look at them. I'm sure it'll be some very interesting reading. Uh, we'll be back another time to interview more members of our ever-growing OGB community. Until then, you can listen to previous episodes of the OGB Community Catch-Up podcast on all streaming platforms and, of course, on our website. I've been Andrew Tyndall. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>